Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Welcome, church. Well, that was silent. Welcome, church. You know, humans can be so ungrateful, and in this particular incident, I'm talking about myself. You know, I've been praying for rain. Now I've had it three days in a row, and I'm tired of it. <laughs> uh, and then, and then God, God must laugh as to the fact that, you know, we're never happy. So as you were praying about the rain, I'm thinking to myself, I, I need to be grateful for the rain. I need to be grateful for the rain. We are starting Daniel. Daniel is such a powerful book. And it's a book that is relevant for us today. And many of us being Seventh-day Adventists, we're familiar with the book. And the song that we've been singing, that or that we're going to be singing as our theme song, The Ancient of Days, comes from Daniel chapter 7. And it's the reality that God is in control. No matter how dark life gets, no matter how down you feel, never forget that our God is the Ancient of Days. In other words... Nothing will be final on this earth. Even if your life is taken, nothing will be final until the Ancient of Days has the final word. And most of us who die in Christ will be resurrected for eternal life. And he will have the final word in our journey. And that is what the song is about. That he is the Ancient of Days no matter how dark it gets. But today we open up. In Daniel chapter 1. So open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to be preaching the majority of the messages in the book of Daniel. But we also have some of the elders that will take a couple of the chapters as well. Trying to connect the, the controller to the MacBook. So give me a sec. For some reason it's not connecting Andrew. So I'll let you know when. Okay, Daniel is a prophetic book. It is the two is one of the two major prophetic books in the Bible, as we know. There's Daniel in the Old Testament. There's Revelation in the New Testament. But Daniel obviously comes first. It's in the Old Testament, and it is the foundation of the book of Revelation. You can't expect to understand Revelation unless you know Daniel. It tells us though about historical facts that took place. In the time of Daniel, Daniel was an actual person who lived, and the prophecies begin in 605 B.C., the story of Daniel. It tells us about facts also that will take place in the future. Some have been fulfilled, and others await their fulfillment. In fact, Daniel's chapter 1 through 6, Daniel's 1 through 6, there are 12 chapters, are what we deem historical. These chapters were events that transpired while Daniel was living them out. In other words, he was living these, the, the, the being thrown in the lion's den, the three boys thrown in the fiery furnace. These are things they actually lived, even including Daniel chapter 2, which is a foundation of prophecy. Daniel actually lived that out with the king as he helped decipher the dream. Even though it tells us about the future, it was an event that Daniel lived. However, Daniel chapter 7 through 12, on the other hand, deal with visions and dreams that the prophet Daniel had 
about things that would take place in the future from his time till now in our day and future in our day. When we get to the prophetic portion, they will build upon each other going from, listen to this, when we begin in the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2, they go from overtly political as we keep going to chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, they get overtly religious. So they go from pure political speaking about kingdoms to the fact that in chapter 11, there is a power that dares to blaspheme the God of heaven. So it goes from purely political to overtly religious. Not only that, beginning in Daniel chapter 2, the foundation of all prophecy. I'm going to beat that like a dead horse next week because if we get Daniel 2 right, then we can get the rest of the prophecy right. If we get Daniel 2 wrong, well, if you're one inch off from your path from here to the moon, you'd end up about 5,000 miles away from the moon. Just one degree, excuse me. And so if you've been in biology, those of us who were in biology classes from ancient years ago when you still had physical books and not everything on an iPad. Remember the, the graph with the skeleton? And then you poured the clear one and it added the nerves and then you added the muscles and then you added the intestines and all that. You're shaking your head. They still have this stuff? Okay, good. <laughs> well, that's how the prophecies built. Daniel 2 is the skeleton. Daniel 7 adds more. Daniel 8 adds more. Daniel 9 adds more until you get a complete picture. And then finally, in the book of Revelation, you get it all explained even in further detail. An interesting point about the book is that it's about the life of a man named Daniel, even though that's the name. He's the main character. And Daniel means God is my judge but not in the way we think of judges, right? None of us wants to stand before a judge because the judge is usually there. If you've ever been to traffic court, you're not getting away with it. You're paying the fine and the court fee and everything else. But in ancient times, in biblical times, the judge was actually on your side. He was there to defend you and the accuser had to convince the judge who's defending you that you were guilty and so in that sense God is our judge I like to say he is our advocate and pastor Allen likes to say he is our deliverer Daniel means God is my deliverer God is my advocate there is no way I can fail this courtroom scene because he is my advocate and he is my deliverer he is my judge the main character in the book of Daniel is, as we mentioned, Daniel himself. But some people deny that. Go to the next slide. But Jesus affirms that. Therefore, when you see the abominations of desolation spoken by who? By Daniel the prophet. Right? It didn't say written. It says spoken. Obviously, we have it in written form. But Jesus is alluding that Daniel was a real man, a real prophet. And he wrote this. Jesus himself, whoever reads them, reads let them understand and that's what we'll be doing getting to the point where we will understand understand that we are living 
in the days that Daniel spoke about. Because if you go to Revelation, I mean Daniel chapter 12, it clearly says that these things were written for when? For the end times. And we're there. So look at verse 1. It says, In the third year, in, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, what do we learn here? It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of, ne of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the prime figures in this book, he'll, he'll be prominent in chapters 2, 3, 4. Chapters 2, 3, and 4. He is prominent. He is the reason why Daniel is taken captive. It says that he besieged Jerusalem. And look at verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. If you read verse 1, you think that Nebuchadnezzar was this conquering king, that he's the one totally in charge, that this evil man is in charge of God's people, but verse 2 makes it clear that who is in charge? The Lord. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. What is interesting about that is that Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, is a king of Babylon who besieged and de defeated Jerusalem. And what is interesting about that is that these two cities, Babylon and uh, Jerusalem, represent two ideologies. These two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem, represent two ideologies. And these two cities are throughout the entire Bible, from the Tower of Babel of which this Confusion began that Babylon promotes to the book of Revelation. Go to the next slide. To the book of Revelation. Well, we'll get go to the next slide. I skipped one. Go ahead. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Babylon is prominent even in the book of Revelation. Now go to the previous slide. Because these two ideologies remind us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You know, people are looking for a battle called Armageddon. And many people think that this battle is going to take place somewhere in the Middle East. But the reality is that this battle doesn't take place in some foreign land or in some foreign country with armies. This battle takes place in the space between your ears. It's not a physical fight we're fighting. It's a battle of ideologies. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to surrender to? Who is going to be your leader? Who are you going to follow? Because, as I've mentioned before in an old Bob Dylan song, that he says, you're going to serve somebody. It may be the Lord or it may be the devil, but you're going to serve somebody. And these two cities represent ideologies that are present throughout the time, well, since Genesis to Revelation, but they are brought prominent here in the book of Daniel because you and I are in this battle. Whether you believe it or not, whether you see it or not, you and I are in this battle, and the battle is for the throne of your heart. For there's only one seat in your heart. 
And it will either be occupied by the prince of Babylon. Or by the prince. The true prince of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ. Two ways of life. God's way and the devil's way. Babylon from the tower of Babel. To his depiction in the book of Revelation. Go to that. Yeah. She is called Babylon the what? The great. For she is prominent in society today. Her thinking, her ideology. She is the mother of harlots and of the abominations of all the earth. Think about it. Everything that is bad in this earth. Everything that is rotten with this earth. Comes from the principles that the city of Babylon teaches. Nevertheless. These two philosophies are opposed to one another. And yet it seems that evil tends to win out most of the time. Like it did here as Nebuchadnezzar conquers Jerusalem. Nevertheless, don't let the clouds darken your view of God. Consistently we are reminded that God is in control. It was the Lord that gave Jehoiakim to the king of Judah in his hands. Israel had apostatized. They had rebelled against the God of heaven, their deliverer, their advocate. Habakkuk, in the book of Habakkuk, has his concerns because why will God use a more wicked nation to punish his nation? But God tells Habakkuk, trust me, the just shall live by faith. We may not see, you may not be able to see through the darkness you're in now. You may not see through the troubled times you find yourself in. You may not see, your, see what's happening and what direction the Lord is leading. But by faith we trust that he will lead us all the way home. Go to the next slide. Humbled in the sight of nations, those who once had been recognized as favored of heaven. This is speaking of God's people, city of Jerusalem, above all other peoples of the earth were to learn in exile the lessons of obedience so necessary for their, what? Future happiness. None of us like discipline. Let's admit. We'd rather eat the cookie dough ice cream than the broccoli. <laughs> right? None of us like discipline. But it's a habit we need to cultivate by the grace of God. Jerusalem had rebelled against God and who and he whom God loves he disciplines and he disciplined them not for the arbitrary sake that just because he's God it's because they needed to learn the lessons of obedience so necessary for what their future happiness it is sad when the smoker learns to quick after he's discovered he has lung cancer it is sad for the alcoholic to get sober after he's gotten into an accident and he's in jail. It is now that God is trying to wake us up. It is now that God will use whatever it takes to get you into the kingdom. I've said this before and I mean it and heaven forbid it ever happens. But I'd rather end up quadriplegic and in the kingdom than of healthy mind and body and lost. God was in control. Nebuchadnezzar was going to get his. But the reality is that God wasn't even against Nebuchadnezzar. He is using the circumstances as we will learn in Daniel chapter 4. To save this heathen king. And if this heathen king is not beyond the love of God. Then who is? 
He loves each and every one of us and He will do whatever it takes within the means of not sinning to save every person He can. Evil may conquer for a moment, but only God has the final word. And we see throughout the book of Daniel, throughout the prophecies, and we can be confident as we saw in the lesson that God is for us, that God is our judge, our deliverer, our advocate. Daniel and his friends were taken captive, and no doubt it was a sad day. But not, listen, but not a day that took them by surprise. We don't mention this often, but they understood the prophecies and no doubt had heard the prophetic preaching of Jeremiah, for Jeremiah was in Jerusalem right before they got besieged. Ezekiel started preaching not shortly after that, and surely they were not taken by surprise. And Ezekiel was taken to Babylon. He's preaching, I like to say, he's preaching in the hood of Babylon. Daniel's in the palace of Babylon. And Jeremiah is back. Together they were contemporaries. And being taken captive did not take Daniel and his friends by surprise. And you know what? Those of us who know the word of God, those of us who have understood what is coming forth in this country and in this world will not be taken by surprise because I know and I've read the back of the book, we win. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how bleak it gets, we win. Our God is in control, but many will lose their faith because they have not studied the word of God. They have not fortified their minds with the word of God. And when the persecution comes, when the trials come, they will say it is not worth following God. How do I know this? Do you think Daniel and his friends were the only ones taken captive? No. But as we know from other books in the Old Testament, many were comfortable in Babylon after they were called to go back to Jerusalem. They were like, nah, we made roots here. We're good here. We don't have to go back. And they have chosen Babylon and its philosophies over the philosophies of God. As we see the darkness of this world, as we see God's spirit being withdrawn, we are not to be afraid. As iniquity abounds, the love of others will grow cold, but not ours because we know in whom we've believed. As the Son of God comes back, he says, well, I find faith in the earth. And I say, by the grace of God, he will find faith in those who trust in the ancient of days. Look at Daniel 3. The king ordered Aspenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youth in whom were no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, 
into Azariah Abednego. Imagine with me that this is taking place in your life. Put yourself in the shoes of these young men, perhaps teenagers at the time, late teens. How comfortable would you feel sending your teenage child to one of our major cities all alone? Like New York City, Las Vegas, Chicago, San Francisco, without you being able to communicate or accompany them. Look at what happened to God's people, Israel, during this time. The Bible tells us they took the best, most talented students, the smartest, the best looking, the healthiest. In other words, they took the cream of the crop. Then as soon as they arrived, they're offered food and drinks and delicacies. And on top of that, they changed their identity. No changing identities going on in society today, is it? If you were parents of these teenagers being hauled off from your native land, you might breathe a sigh of relief knowing that they weren't going to be treated harshly or stuck in labor camps doing hard labor. They're being treated nice. Isn't that a relief, you would say? Because after all, nothing is being said about forcing them to renounce their faith. But uh, let us look closer at what's going on. In order to do that, I will ask you several questions to pay attention. Do you think they were the only prisoners taken from Israel? No. Do you think they gave them all the fine food and training without wanting something in return? Nobody gives you anything without wanting something in return. Why do you think they changed their names? Listen to this quote. Go to the next. No. Yeah. The king did not compel the Hebrew youth to renounce their faith in favor of idolatry. But he hoped in bringing this about gradually. By giving them names significant of idolatry, they might bring them daily into close association with idolatrous customs and under the influence of the seductive rites of the heathen worship, he hoped to induce them to renounce the religion of their nation and unite with them in the worship of the Babylonians. The Nebuchadnezzar wanted to be slick. Let them give them power. Let's give them power. Let's give them food. Let's change their names. Let's assimilate them into our culture. So the high life will get them to forget about God's life. And I've seen it happen. People who graduate, who make, start making good money, and then all of a sudden they forget all about God. So he wasn't trying to be forceful. Because look, if a bully is bullying you, do you know you're being bullied? The answer is yes. But if you're being seduced, do you know you're being seduced? For the most part, you don't. Until when? Until it's too late. But this happens not in ancient Babylon. It happens today as well. They take the best of the best of our students and give them scholarships to prominent universities where they teach them things that contradict God's word. Look, I'm not opposed to learning about things that contradict God's word in the sense that they taught us evolution. I learned it. I passed. But my faith is grounded in Scripture. And they change their names where they identify more with the school they went to than the God who they belong to. I'm an Aggie. I'm a Longhorn. I'm a volunteer, Tennessee volunteer, or even pro sports. When people know you more about 
being a Yankee fan than a Christian, we got issues. And this is a true story, by the way. I stopped wearing New York Yankee paraphernalia because when the Yankees were playing the Cleveland Indians in the playoffs, this was back in 2000 and no, 19, I forgot already, so long ago. But the Yankees lost to the Indians in the playoffs. Oh, this was 1997. And when I got into the classroom on a religious school, by the way, no, it wasn't. But anyway, I was in theology school. And when I got into the classroom, the entire class, because the Yankees were now eliminated, started doing the tomahawk chop. And I realized there that people knew me more about being a my loyalty. And so I've shed all Yankee paraphernalia, not because I've stopped rooting, but because my identity is in Christ first and foremost. We can get caught up in it. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. And we forget that we don't follow the donkey or the elephant. We follow the lamb. We get so caught up in things of this world, even in work. And we see it happening amongst our students. Children are being attacked. Anybody has ever heard of the website called Libs of TikTok? Anybody? Okay. They're not really liberals. What they do, let me tell you what they do. They take articles or videos or any media written by people who, are, who do not defend biblical principles, and all they do is either retweet it or repost it. So in other words, they're not taking anybody out of context. They're not taking anybody and editing their videos. All they're doing is bringing to light these videos. So if you go to Boston's Children's Hospital, you see that there is a whole ward to help children as young as three years old transition from either male to female or from female to male. As young as three, they're after our children. Why? Because us adults are already stubborn. We're either settled in our faith. And what Babylon wanted to do to Daniel and his three friends is happening today. They're after our children in school. Different philosophies. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther says that unless we are careful, the very schools will be the very schools of our universities will be the gate of, to hell where our children are lost. Babylon is slick. It's not going to be overt. But little by little, they try to introduce their philosophy into our lives. But it's not only the children. It's the adults, us as well. We have to be careful that our philosophy, our worldview is grounded in the word of God. And that's why I love verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice of food or, or with the wine which he drank. In other words, Daniel went in with a game plan. And I, I'm going to read this quote. It's not on the screen, but listen to this. It is easier to resist temptation if you have thought through your convictions before the temptation arises. Daniel and his friends made their decisions to be faithful to the laws of God before they were faced with the king's delicacies. So they did not hesitate to stick with their convictions. 
we will get into trouble if we have not previously decided where to draw the line. Before such situations arise, decide on your commitments and what you will do. Then when temptation comes, you will be ready to say no. You can't wait to decide if you find a million dollars fall from a bank truck to decide what you're going to do. If you ever find money, your first notion should be, whom can I help return this money to? A couple of years ago, my mom and I were, my biological mom was living with us here in Texas, and she moved to Tennessee, so we drove her. Unbeknownst to me, in the back of the U-Haul truck that we had rented to take her, she had a purse, and old people, I'm sorry to pick on old people, but they don't trust banks. So she had $8,000 in a purse in the back of the truck. I didn't even know about it. So when we arrived to our destination where she was going to stay, the person wasn't home. or No, no, the person had changed their mind. So she couldn't stay there anymore. So we had to find her spot. But while we were waiting for the answer, we had opened the back of the truck, not realizing we drove off with the back open. And the very box with that eight grand had fallen off. When we're putting her stuff in storage, she then finally tells me about the eight grand in the purse and we can't find it. Praise God that the neighbor saw the box fall off and looking for identification, saw there was $8,000, actually hunted down the police. The police officer happened to be a friend of mine. He called us and we got all the money back. That is a woman of integrity. But she didn't develop integrity as she was staring at the $8,000. She developed integrity long time before, knowing that this money did not belong. If you got $8,000 in your mattress or in a purse or anywhere, put it in the bank. There are debit cards. Or at least let your son know <laughs> that you're traveling with that kind of money in the back. Daniel said, look, no matter how tempting the situation and his friends, I'm going to be faithful to God no matter what. I don't care if they offer me a 30% raise, but if I have to violate the Sabbath, I'm not. I don't care if you're the most beautiful looking model, I'm not going to violate my marriage. But I can't decide that when I'm in a hotel room with her. By then it's too late. By then you're gone. You have to decide that I will not put myself in any compromising situation. And if by chance, because these men weren't brought there because they wanted to, they went in there with the conviction that I'm going to remain faithful to God no matter what. He proposed in his heart. He said, look, I don't care the consequences. And we will see their conviction in chapter 3 when Pastor Allen preaches that they were ready to pay with their life but they were going to remain loyal to God. If you notice though, they're taught in Babylon University, they remain faithful to God. Their names are changed and they don't complain. Why? Because I can learn about other things and remain grounded in the Word of God. You can call me whatever you want, but I am a son of God. You are a daughter of God. However, there was a test that they were not going to violate because that which compromises the body, they were not going to cross. 
And so Daniel said, look, we're not touching that food for three reasons. One, it probably wasn't clean meat or it was mixed with unclean meat. So Daniel being a good Jewish boy, understanding his scripture, understanding the health, he said, nope, that's one we're not doing. Second, even if it was clean meat, it probably wasn't cooked properly. It wasn't probably, the blood wasn't drained properly. And the worst thing I've ever seen, one time I was on a date and I knew this date wasn't gonna go, I wasn't in the church at the moment, but even then, I knew this date wasn't going to go well when she ordered a rare steak. And when that first bite she took and the blood is going down her cheek, I knew this was over <laughs> before it started. So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, uh, sacrifice, or not sacrifice, whatever. it wasn't kosherly cooked or cut. And third, there's no doubt in understanding biblical archaeology that it was offered to idols, to the Babylonian gods. And we see it in the life of Jesus, who would not compromise his health. They called him names. They whipped him. They, they, they uh, tried to teach him their ways. But when he was hanging on the cross there, seeking for water relief, they tried to give him uh, gall, which is a mixture of vinegar and wine, to numb his senses. He refused it. So Daniel said, look, no, I don't want none of this. Test us 10 days. And this is cool because medically speaking, many people call this the Daniel's diet. And so there was a study in Tennessee where they took people and said, we want you to try the biblical diet called the Daniel's diet to see if there's any difference in your body. And now the, the, the people who made this test said, we're not going to call it a vegan diet because nobody would show up. But they called it a Daniel's diet, and they had 98% compliance. Listen to what happened. Go to the quote. No surprise that a diet composed of whole plant foods improved several risk factors for metabolic and cardiovascular disease. Participants experienced meaningful improvements in blood pressure, cholesterol, insulin levels, insulin resistance, and C-reactive protein were all lowered to a clinical meaningful extent. All the Tennessee was 21 days, but you could begin to see the difference even in 10 days. And now this wasn't part of my sermon, but open your book to page 12. Open those who follow uh, the Adventist message, the biblical message on the health message, in page 12, less obesity. And we know that obesity was the number one contributor to those who passed away from COVID. Less diabetes, less hypertension, less cholesterol levels, less cancer, less heart disease, and lower total mortality, a 12% lower risk of death from any cause based on the latest research. God made us a promise that if we will follow the health message, we would not get the diseases of the Egyptians. But the beauty of the health message is not just what it does for our physical body, because if we're already ravaged by physical cancer or by some other disease, the ultimate beauty of the health message is the grace of God.
for His grace can redeem any ignorance that we may have had in our lifetime. And even if we die of cancer, the grace of God will resurrect us when He comes back in glory. That's the beauty of the health message. And we have it. See, I don't work out with weights and I haven't been... I've been getting in shape, not primarily to look physically in shape, but the main reason is for my mind. The healthier you are, the clearer you think. And the only way we communicate with God is through what? Through our minds. Daniel proposed in his heart. He was clear of mind. He didn't want to be benumbed by the delicacies. Let's admit it. Because even I still do it sometimes. Even though it's vegan ice cream, you eat a pint of vegan ice cream, all you want to do is fall asleep in a stupor. Can you imagine doing that day after day, week after week? And the body is so resilient, but it could only hold up for so long. We've been told in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that whatever we do, we must do it for the glory of God. Whether we eat or drink, do it for the glory and honor See, Daniel wasn't there primarily for health reasons. He didn't ask for a plant-based diet, vegetable diet, primarily for health reasons. He wanted to make sure that he was in top shape that he, of mind and body so he can keep focus in his connection. See, God is my judge. He's my deliverer. He's my advocate. And I want to do whatever I can on my part to have a clear connection with heaven. But praise God that we're not saved by the health message. We're saved by the grace of God. But I want to do everything possible to be faithful. For 10 days, he didn't, I like how I heard somebody say, he didn't protest. He didn't go on a hunger strike. He asked nicely, prayed about it. And the Lord moved on his captors to give them that which he requested. And after the 10 days, he looked so much better than everybody else that he was able to maintain his diet for the rest of the book of Daniel. And God gave them favor amongst the Babylonians. And the last verse of Daniel 1 says that he served even unto King Cyprus. I mean Cyrus. So the question is for us today is, do we dare to be a Daniel? As the world around us gets darker, as they require our youth more to accept more pronouns than we've ever grown up with, are we going to remain faithful to God? Are we going to remain faithful to Him no matter what is enticed before us? A beautiful wife, a handsome husband, a job that takes us away from God. God wants to give you the best, but He wants the best from you as well. Listen to these two quotes as we wrap up. The, the Hebrew worthies were men of like passions with ourselves. The Bible tells us that, right? Elijah was a man like like passions. These men weren't superheroes. What they had was a connection with the Almighty. Notwithstanding the seductive influences of the court of Babylon, they stood firm because they depended upon a strength that is infinite. In them a heathen nation beheld an illustration of the goodness and the benefits, beneficence of God and of the love of Christ. And in their experience we have an instance 
of the triumph of principle over temptation, of purity over depravity, of devotion and loyalty over what? Atheism and idolatry. The world is trying to preach that there is no God, but we know in whom we believe. By the grace of God, we can stand firm as Daniel and his friends did. As it gets darker, we will shine brighter. As the world dies in illness, our health message will help us bring the gospel to the world. Next quote. The spirit that possessed Daniel, the youth of today, may have. They may draw from the same source of strength, possess the same power of self-control, and reveal the same grace in their lives, even under circumstances as unfavorable. Though surrounded by temptations to self-indulgence, especially in our large cities, where every form of sensual gratification is made easy and inviting, yet by divine grace their purpose to honor God may remain firm. Through strong resolution and vigilant watchfulness, they may withstand every temptation that assails the soul, but only by him who determines to do right, because it is right will the victory be gained. You have to propose, go to the next slide, you have to propose in your heart to remain faithful to the cross. See, Daniel wasn't living out an experience that wasn't brought out by the Holy Spirit of God. For my Savior ultimately lived what Daniel lived in this chapter. He came to this, this world and exiled in this sinful planet. They called him names, they beat him up, they tried they eventually crucified him. But our Lord and Savior, like Daniel, remained faithful to his father, to the Ancient of Days. He remained faithful. And no matter what enticement, if you would just bow down and worship me, the devil said, I will give you the entire world. You can forsake the cross. You don't have to die. I will give, you, give it to you all. Jesus said, no. I will do it my father's way. And even if it cost me my life, I will remain faithful to the ancient of days. Jesus loves and he ultimately gives us all the freedom to choose which way we're going to go. But he invites you to look and live. For it is only when we do it God's way that we have peace. Don't let the bright lights, the big city, the TikTok influencers, the YouTube and social media influencers who may have more money than we'll ever dream of. But what is money if you have lost eternal life? It all looks good now. It all looks flashy. But inside it is dead bones. And, not, and I'm not saying that you can't have riches and be Adventists. There are many rich Adventists. And for the most part, those of us who live in the woodlands are better off than the majority of the world. However, my Hope is not in riches. My hope is not in my 401k. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And if they should throw me in prison, take away my children, martyr my wife, I know I will see them again. Because the Ancient of Days always has the final word. These men stayed faithful, just like Jesus did. And they prospered in a heathen land. You and I can remain faithful and we will prosper here and have a home in glory that outshines the sun. Next week, we will look at the foundation of prophecy, Daniel chapter 2. If we get that right, 
then all prophecy will make sense. But not only that, we will find out that half the chapter is not even about the prophecy. And we'll find out what that teaches us for our relationship with Jesus Christ. Until then, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that Daniel and your son Jesus Christ has set an example of how to remain faithful even in the darkest environment. Our circumstances did not determine our faithfulness, whether we are in high places or in a dingy dungeon, whether we're in a fiery furnace or in a lion's den. If we have you, we have it all. We thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.